Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, y'all. My name is Don Jonkowski. You're typically used to seeing me sit over there, but today it is an honor to be um, part of the teaching team here at Mosaic and share the Word of God with you. I'm not just going to share the Word of God. I'm going to share a few personal insights about my life. There's a reason that I prefer bouquets to, and vases of flowers to potted plants. I have inherited my mother's brown thumb. But I think it's worse than that because she, with a little effort, can actually get things to grow. I think my thumb is straight up black. I am where plants come to die. (laughs) Under my best intended, yet occasionally forceful menstruations, two succulents, multiple seedlings, a jade plant, Several of those impossible-to-kill air plants. And, and an orchid. I don't know who in the world gave me an orchid, but an orchid. Have all, possibly willingly, given up the ghost. Two years ago, Nick went out of town and, and asked me if I would water the porch plants. He says, just water them every other day. They'll be fine. Okay, I can do this. Guys, I lucked out. It rained every other day. I'm like, I am Scott free, right? No. It didn't just rain. It rained for every other day. Did you know plants can drown? (laughs) Yeah, I learned that. When he came back and he's like, you killed them. It rained every other day. And he says, well, they they drowned because they got too much water. I can't win. I can't win. If you were to visit our house today, if you were to drive by, um, you'd see that some of our flowering plants maybe, are actually still alive. Like, I took this picture on Friday. I I helped plant those. It was really exciting that they're still alive. Um, But I have to admit that Nick is the one who remembers to water them. Um, Still, they're they're still blooming. It's, what, November 6th? They're still blooming after a couple frosts, several showers of dog pee, um, (laughs) that inch of snow that we got mid-October right after we got back from a beach vacation. Thanks a lot, Wisconsin. I keep telling Nick we need to figure out what they are because we, naturally we threw away the little tag that came with them. We need to figure out what they are and buy them every year because they are dawn-proof and indestructible. <laughs> the, the point in all this, though, is not simply to say, please, 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 never give me a potted plant. Or at least don't take it personally when it dies. Uh, but that cultivating growing green things, it's a very specific process and and the process tends to be different for every type of plant you don't follow the same steps for a cactus that you do for an orchid might explain why my orchid died (laughs) you can't force your plant to do what you want it to do or to do what it doesn't naturally do I mean I've tried grow dang it it doesn't work it's the same when it comes to my faith Sheer grit and determination and pulling myself up by the bootstraps is not going to save me or make me do the right and righteous things. 
And sometimes I still find myself approaching my spiritual walk with God like that. Like if I just check off this list of things to do, God is going to be happy with me. You know, if, I'm, if I make sure I'm in church every time the doors are open and I'm in a small group and I don't say bad words and I do nice things like mow my neighbor's lawn or encourage Nick to know, mow the neighbor's lawn. <laughs> None of those things are, are bad inherently. But they also should not be what we use as a litmus test to prove our salvation. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves this morning, which we probably should be because, again, we're in church, We've probably all, at one time or another, maybe even this morning, fallen into the trap of thinking that if we just follow this checklist, these seven habits, these 12 steps, these 613 laws, then we're covered. We feel like this checklist assures us that we're doing the right stuff to make God happy and get to heaven. And if you've been following along at all, as we've been moving through the book of Galatians through this series, you've heard pastors Nick and Jason share how Paul has spent four whole chapters so far telling the church of Galatia to stop telling believers that they have to follow the old law in order to gain salvation under the new covenant. It was Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that paid the price and fulfilled the law, So anyone who says with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord is saved. That's it. There's no list of rules. There's no big complicated ritual. There's no long checklist. Just confess and believe and you will be free. It's so easy that it's kind of astounding to us that the Galatian church was trying to add more to it. Why make salvation more complicated? And then we do the same things. We create rules of what you can and cannot do, rules that are supposed to prove that we are good Christians. You know, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with boys who do. You know. Even things that are good to do. Yeah, I grew up with those. I, you can laugh. I grew up with those too. Obviously, I didn't listen because I dance. <laughs> but even the things that are good to do can become those rules to prove salvation, you know, go to church, read your Bible, join a small group, be in youth group, tithe, all those things that, again, are good things. That's not how we prove salvation. Also, following those rules on our own power, that's tough. Because our sinful nature naturally causes us to want to do other things. And what comes out of that isn't always very appealing. Fortunately, God knew, thank goodness, that humanity would struggle with the simplicity of salvation and would try instead to prove salvation with rules instead of faith. I mean, after all, they've just spent the last 2,000 years trying to control their own lives and sinful desires with 613 laws. And how was that working out? So he uses Paul to share again with the struggling church in Galatia about what it looks like to live in true freedom with Christ and what they can expect to see as a result. In a time where many were still operating in the comfort zone of laws and works, Paul more intently defines freedom and grace. So in your Bibles or your Bible apps, 
Let's turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. We'll share it up here on the screen as well. And as we said, Paul has just spent the last four chapters explaining his concerns over what's going on in the church at Galatia, reminding them that it's not the law that saves them. And adding the law to what Christ did is actually taking away from God's promise of freedom. So now you can imagine the church in Galatia is kind of scratching their heads, maybe a little nervous. Well, if you take away the law, what are we left with? How do we know we're doing the right stuff? Well, Paul first calls them out to not use this new freedom to sin, but instead to serve one another in love, because loving your neighbor as yourself just so happens to sum up and achieve all 613 of those laws. Then in verses 16 through 26, he's going to unpack how believers should live in their newfound freedom of salvation instead of relying on the law for their spiritual proof of purchase. Let's take a look. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's a list. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. In this passage, Paul definitively says that if we walk in the Spirit instead of trying to live by the law, the outcome is that we will not fulfill what the flesh wants to do. Walking in the Spirit doesn't give us license to sin, but also legalism can't keep us holy. Walking in the Spirit prompts us to fulfill the will of God through the inner influence of the Holy Spirit instead of the outer influence of the law of God. What exactly does it mean to walk in the spirit. I mean, do, like, do you need a special pair of shoes to do that? Because I'm all over buying another pair of shoes. <laughs> it's, walking in the spirit feels like one of those church phrases that we use a lot, that we all say. We don't always stop to think about what it actually means. P.S. It has nothing to do with the shoes you're wearing. Essentially, walking in the spirit suggests that even the most ordinary natural movement throughout our day we allow to be guided by the Holy Spirit, who is God. 
The Spirit then directs our lives and choices and empowers us to obey God as we should. When you are led by the Spirit, you fulfill the will of God through the inner influence of the Holy Spirit instead of the outer influence of the law. Now, if you remember from the past several weeks, one of the big proofs that the church in Galatia was calling for to show that you had earned or achieved salvation was circumcision. Paul has spent a good chunk of his letter reminding Galatia that circumcision doesn't actually do anything toward your salvation, so knock it off with that requirement. And all the Gentile Christians said amen. <laughs> then, of course, that means that folks are going to ask, okay, if we don't have that sign to prove that we have been saved, what, what do we look for? I mean, it's not like you got a, a T-shirt or a gold badge and said, yes, 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 I do. I've got the Holy Spirit. How about you? People might look at you a little funny. So, so let's look back at what Paul says in verses 19 through 23. He says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Did you hear what he said? The, the tell for what a person is walking in, the flesh or the spirit, is evidenced by the fruit their life produces. If you are thinking about growing a garden next year, you might start saving seeds from some of your current fruits and veggies to, to plant in the spring, right? Say you save some tomato seeds, some apple seeds, some carrots, maybe some corn. You plant those, and what do you expect to get? It's an easy question, guys. You don't have to cheat. Tomatoes, apples, carrots, and corn, right? You expect to reap what exactly you sow. The fruit that results is based on what is inside each seed that germinates into a plant. You're not going to cultivate tomatoes, apples, carrots, and corn and expect plums, squash, potatoes, and kumquats. I mean, and if you do... We're going to need to have a quick chat, because mainly I need to know how you grew kumquats in Wisconsin. Just the same, Paul writes that if your life cultivates what's in your sinful nature, the result is not going to be nice, shiny fruit. It's going to be that rotten, squishy, sin-driven stuff that's not good for anything. Instead, when you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, your life produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And none of those are contrary to the law. Interesting here that I found was this difference between works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. Works are, you know, they're work. They require muscle and effort and grit. 
fruit has different and interesting characteristics. It's not achieved by working, but birthed by abiding. It's fragile. It reproduces itself. It's attractive. It nourishes. Fruit is also not a gift that's distributed on an individual basis. It's for everyone. Paul even refers to it as fruit singular. It's not a series where like one believer gets an apple and another one gets an orange and you over here get a banana. It's a whole bunch. It's a, it's a cluster, if you will. All of these qualities can and should be manifested in each one of us as a believer. Plus, did you happen to notice, again, easy question, who are all these particular fruits describe? It ain't me. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus even told us that the mission of the Holy Spirit would be to promote and speak of him. In John 14, 16 through 17, he says to his disciples, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive, it because it, receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And in John 16, 13 through 15, he continues, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. When we walk in the Spirit, we are listening to what the Holy Spirit says as he guides us in the path and nature of Jesus. When we walk in the Spirit, we look more like Jesus. As believers, though, we're not totally passive participants in this process. God gave us free will, right? What got us into this whole mess in the first place. <laughs> but he leaves us a choice, good or bad, in everything that we do. Notice in the beginning of the passage that we read, Paul pointed out that our sinful nature craves doing evil, and it's at war with the Spirit giving us opposite desires for good. We have to be active participants in this fight, not only choosing to follow the Spirit, but also in verse 24, nailing the passions and desires of our sinful nature to the cross and crucifying them there. Notice that the crucifixion of the flesh is not something that is done to us. It is actually done by us. We are called to choose to work with God to do to the flesh, our natural sinful desires, what God did all by himself to what we inherited from Adam. Crucify it. This ongoing choice and action to crucify and walk away from our natural bent towards selfishness and evil is crucial to our ability to then walk freely with the Spirit and be led by Him. There's no circumcision or 613 laws required. It's just a choice. And whatever we choose to follow is then displayed in the fruit that our lives produce. 
Now you might be sitting here wondering, okay, so now I have to grow fruit. It still sounds like a to-do checklist to me, Dawn. So I want to ask you a question. Might sound a little odd, but just, just go with it, okay? Have any of you successfully gotten a tree to mow the lawn? <laughs> I wish, right? <laughs> so does Nick. How about walk your dog? Bring in the mail? Okay, of course not, right? You're all looking at me like, what kind of question, what kind of question is this? What kind of test? Did you even study for this, Don? <laughs> your, your tree is not going to mow your lawn, walk your dog, or bring in the mail. That's not what God created trees to do. A tree follows what God created it to do. It grows. It performs photosynthesis. It pulls in nutrients with its roots. And the tree produces fruit because that's just what it's created to do. Similarly, when we are doing the things that are, when we're working to do the things that are against our inherent sinful nature, like say, follow 613 laws to try and earn our way into God's good grace, we aren't successful. I mean, it, it might work for a time, but it's an exhausting and daunting process that doesn't really result in us looking at all like Jesus. But when we are following the lead of the Spirit, he changes us from the inside out, and our natural response is a desire to do what the Spirit directs. Following that lead is a choice. I've mentioned before that I'm a, a ballroom and, and swing dancer. And if you've ever seen Dancing with the Stars or been at a wedding where people actually know what they're doing, um, you understand, <laughs> laughing because, yeah, wedding dances are fun. Um, you've seen in these social dances that there's a leader, which is typically the man, and there's a follower, which is typically the female. So when someone at a social dance asks me to dance, the general agreement in that request is that he will lead moves and patterns according to what he is hearing from the music. And I will follow them. When we do that together, the result is a smooth, natural, beautiful dance that follows the flow and the rhythm of the music, right? But I have a choice in that dance, don't I? I don't have to follow what the leader invites me to do. I can do my own patterns and moves. Though I guarantee it's going to look really, really bad and nobody's going to ask me to dance for the rest of the night. It's the same thing when the Spirit leads us. We have the choice to follow what he leads us to do. And when we do, the result is a smooth and natural experience that produces those good fruits. There is a daily intentional rhythm to accepting and following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And when you choose to follow his lead, that evidence shows up in the fruit of your life. We can observe the fruit in our lives and trace back to see what we're rooted in. One of the ways you can do this is by simply asking the Holy Spirit to lead you. I know we've just spent all this time talking about not turning our salvation into a checklist, so don't worry, I'm not suggesting that. It's, it's, don't think of it as a checklist or a to-do. Think of it as a conversation. The same way you invite a colleague to grab coffee with you in the morning. 
same way you ask a friend if they want to walk with you to class. The same way you sit down over breakfast with your spouse and invite them into the plans of the day. Build that into your daily rhythm, a daily rhythm where you converse with the Holy Spirit and invite him into your day, where you ask him to lead you and you pray to be made aware of his leading. And ask him to help you be honest about the type of fruit your life is producing. God is daily inviting us to follow his lead and walk in his spirit. And are we just buckling down on our own works to try to earn our way to salvation? Or are we producing good fruit by joining the Holy Spirit on mission to share his love and freedom with the world? There's only one plant I've ever been successful at cultivating for more than like three days. It was a cactus, and it actually lived for a couple of years. It was made for someone like me. So you just pour a little, little bit of water in the pot once a month, and the cactus was happy to do what it was programmed to do, grow and create more spines and buds to make more cacti. I couldn't force it to do anything it wasn't designed to do. I couldn't force it to blossom with an orchid bud. Likewise, we can't live a godly Christian life on our own power or by following the outside influence of laws. We have to surrender ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he will create in us the, de the desire to live according to the will of God. When we nail our sinful desires to a cross and walk in step with the Spirit's leading, the outcome is that we will live lives that look less and less like our human sinful desires and more and more like Jesus. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.